Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And, uh, I'll be joined by my good friend, Dr. Larry, as we talk about the the latest and greatest that's going on. Just want to let everybody know that you can listen to this show every day, 11 a.m., 4 p.m., Eastern Standard Time on the Bachelor News Radio Network at bachelornews.airtime.pro, bachelornews.airtime.pro. If you got a question, call me at 646 929 0130, and if we like what you say, we might even let you on the air. And and, don't be, and this particular segment of the show is brought to you by the latest and greatest book I've written called America at the Abyss. Will America survive? And you're probably asking yourself, well, Tom, will it? Well, you have to buy the book to find out you know, whether it will survive, and the and some of my brilliant ideas to make sure that it does indeed survive. You can get, you can pre-order this book at BarnesandNoble.com, at Amazon.com, at Liberty Hill Press, Press Publishing.com. And joining me is Dr. Larry and. And what I'm going to do here, Dr. Larry, is I'm going to begin the show uh, with the world as it was and as it is today. In 2009, this is the world that Barack Obama and Joe Biden inherited. The Middle East was stable as it could be. Libya basically had given up all of their chemical weapons, and Gaddafi conceded in the war there. Yemen was stable. Iran was in a box, pretty much in a box, isolated. The Ukraine actually had all of their territories, including Crimea. And certainly, China was not, to, was not as anywhere near as aggressive they are right now. This is the world that Donald Trump inherited from Barack Obama and Joe Biden. A civil war in Yemen on the border of the Saudi Arabia, Libya and and chaos, basically becoming a terrorist playground after basically overthrowing Gaddafi and replacing him in God knows what. Iran was in the move, on the move in the Middle East. They literally had bases lined up in Syria, in in Lebanon, and also at the Gaza Strip. Basically, and in Yemen, where they had the civil war. In other words, they were they had chaos. They had basically troops and uh, allies at the border of Saudi Arabia 
Israel, and some of our friends in the Middle East. China was on the march, and the half of the Ukraine basically was under the control of essentially Russian, Russian mercenaries, and Crimea was totally under Putin control. And in 2021, this is the world that Donald Trump gave Joe Biden. Iran was back in their box with the economic sanctions. The Abraham Accord was outlined, basically put Israel and the Sunni Arabs in an alliance. Russia was held in check. We recognized the issues with China, and we were an energy exporter. Uh, some people use the word energy independent. Well, here we are. Iran is once again on the rise and now making noises of alliances with China and Russia. The Abraham Accord is in jeopardy. Russia is now threatening to just take over the rest of the Ukraine and basically wanting, making it clear to the United States and NATO that he, they want all of those troops and all of NATO pretty much out of some of the bordering countries, including the central those countries in Central Europe that have recently, like Poland, like the Baltics, Afghanistan is a disaster. The Middle East is once again a powder keg. That is the world we now live in because of Joe Biden. And I didn't even bring up, I guess I should, the fact that is now putting a crimp in our energy production essentially begging OPEC to produce more oil, to reduce the, the 30% plus price increases that we've seen. Now, that's a pretty good play. And I guess, and I guess the question I would throw back to you is that under the Biden, Obama Biden and now the Biden Harris, we find ourselves back into a very insecure world. Your thoughts? Insecure hardly describes it. We're uh, facing the very strong possibility of war, and it's uh, been stimulated. We everybody seems to agree by the fact that we uh, we uh, were defeated really in uh, by our own admission in. Afghanistan, and that uh, that whole uh, tragic and in, incredibly inept uh, uh, situation uh, has led to a, uh, a considerable uh, uh, discovery of our weakness and the weakness of our leadership by our enemies, principally uh, Russia and China at this point and Iran, and now uh, also uh, uh, North Korea, uh, <clears throat> and that has in turn led to uh, their uh, being, uh, particularly uh, Russia has already declared that that uh, they, are, uh, they are in a war, uh, they expect to be in a war uh, situation with the United, with the uh, Ukraine, and uh, then that will lead to a war with the United States that's already been uh, publicly uh, proclaimed by their uh, their uh, people. Uh, and uh, China has uh, been increasingly uh, 
uh, adventurous, adventurous in uh, violating uh, Taiwan's uh, 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 defense space, both in uh, on the air and in the sea. And uh, it's the the uh, rumor is that as soon as these Olympics are over, we can start. We can look for some action uh, for them to retake Taiwan. And then, and on top of that, and we have to talk more about this uh, in a later uh, show, but uh, we've also uh, pro- publicly proclaimed that uh, the uh, penalty for Russia's invasion of Ukraine will be a uh, cyber attack by us on them, and that is purely... Uh, uh, ignoring the fact that they are farther advanced than we are, and uh, that such a war could actually be, uh, frankly, Armageddon in uh, in, in both uh, both countries. So uh, th- this this is a very dangerous world we're in right now, and it has all has to do with the incompetence of our leadership. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, here's the thing, because we're going to discuss more later on the resistance hour uh, dealing with the cyber side of the equation. But I guess here's the problem I'm going to throw back, and I'm going to leave this for you to think about, because this is the biggest fear I have. We're blundering into a situation that we have no plan to get out of. And my biggest fear is that, I mean, well, what are we going to do once, if the Russians decide to go into the Ukraine, uh, I mean, seriously, I mean, are we what for luck? I mean, is you know, well, we've already we told should... them we're going to attack them, say they give them a cyber attack. We that's yeah. actually been announced by our yeah. Uh, yeah. by our uh, Secretary of State. Right. Well, that's a good question. We're going to have to we'll explore that here. Um, as we follow with these, uh, with this, this is Tom Dallison, Dallison Files here on the National News Radio Network with my good friend, the honorable, great Dr. Larry. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, this particular segment is brought to you by the latest and greatest book I have called America at the Abyss, Will America Survive? If you want to know the answers to that questions and those questions, Simply buy the book. The book will be available at the end of the month. 
through Liberty Hill Publishing, which is associated with Salem Media. And you can order pre-order this book right now. That's right. Right now, folks. BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, LibertyHillPublishing.com. And, and so we're now back here with uh, Dr. Larry. Okay. Let me ask you. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, first, I mean, the basically, I mean, you you know, made the point because I know we were talking severe sanctions, and but my, you know, but this is cyber. I mean, you know, try to explore more about this. You know, when did because I, you know, you know, when did he? When did we make this announcement of cyberspace, cyber attacks, and your thoughts? You know, when did this? Ha- you know, when did they add this to the mix? Well, it's been going on for a long time. <clears throat> We're. Um, uh, do you mean when did when did who add it to the mix? Uh, the United oh, well, States it, or well, our enemies? Yeah. When? Yeah. When did we actually make this? Because I know there was a lot of discussion on sanctions, and he repeated that today in his press conference. Boy, you know, uh, is that, uh, you know, we're going to give him sanctions he can't remember, but I don't him, but he has not brought up the uh, cyber issue. So, uh, so I was just, like I said, that's, you know, one thing I have to be honest with you, it kind of slipped my mind. So I would say, uh, you know, when, you know, you know, when was that? Was was there a former announcement that they did on that, or was that just something that came out recently? Uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Well, there, 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 there has been a uh, group of um, technical people that have been warning about uh, the vulnerability of yeah. the United States for a long yeah. time for the last uh, 20 years and uh, and uh, it's it's not, never been taken very seriously by anybody except by the people that really uh, understand uh, the the problem and of course the other the, the one of the issues that we have faced is that most of our uh utilities are in private private hands and private corporations and they're not actually owned by the government and the government has therefore in order to to protect the uh, common defense of the United States uh, it has it should be uh, making requirements on these uh, on these uh, facilities but they have been very lax. There's been no, really, very little uh, uh, monitoring or, or uh, requirements on the part of the government for these uh, private owners, and therefore they haven't done much in in the way of hardening the, our our uh, facilities. So, so the so it's it's become a real a rather massive problem, and. Uh, and it's very complicated because it is 50 states and 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 then territories and then of course within the states there are uh, both uh, local and then also multi-state uh, 
uh, energy uh, companies, like for example, here in uh, in the in uh, the Washington area, we have uh, we have the uh, one company that that really uh, services um, uh, Virginia, uh, the District of Columbia, Maryland, the whole Delray Peninsula, and uh, and I believe uh, also uh, West Virginia and uh, and parts of North Carolina. So you know that that makes it. Uh, yeah. Both easy and hard to uh, to uh, yeah. to regulate. Yeah. So that's the that's yeah. the fun, that's the fundamental problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This, let me throw this in because here's the thing. I want to kind of follow up on some news stories here. Uh, because the thing is, uh, I mean, here's a story that came from just a couple of days ago that the Russians had already did a cyber attack on the Ukraine, and basically they basically, you know, slashed, you know, they splashed government. That's what they did. They splashed Ukrainian government websites with the warning, be afraid and expect the worst. And, and certainly, okay, the, and certainly, uh, and so, I mean, so there's something they, you know, there's something already there. So I'm wondering, obviously, what the Russians have basically said in effect. You know, we're gonna, we can hack you, we can attack you in so many different ways. You know, these are acts of intimidation. So, um, yeah, and so the question will come into play: is what will we do in response to that? Because obviously, you know, are we going to be willing to? "Quote unquote," do a counter cyber attack if, let's say, if any more cyber attacks on the Ukraine happens. Uh, this will be the big question again. Again, I'm, uh, you know, like I said, this is coming from the you know the BBC is now talking about this, among other things, in a recent article. Uh, so. Well, you know, like I say, but you know, it's interesting that this is now into the mix because basically that's expanding. Uh, well, that's, the reason you know, that's, the reason yeah. it's in the so, mix though is because of of what's what's been going on in China and and Russia, uh, particularly. Uh, they, I mean, there's some some uh, attention to it in in Europe, but it's mostly mostly China and and Russia. Because they realized that they could not compete with us on a nuclear in a nuclear format, and the problem with uh, land war in uh, uh, between the United States and anybody else in the world, practically except for Canada and Mexico, is the fact that that uh, it's very there's there's an ocean we're protected by oceans, so they they then began to seriously consider uh, what kind of uh, leverage they could have uh, in, in, uh, in, in against the United States uh, given those uh, situations. And uh, in, in, in addition to that, the United States was also the uh, technological uh, capital of the world. 
and at least for the last uh, generation or so, in fact, more than that, really. Uh, and uh, so they, they then, they, they, when this electronic world began to open up, in uh, really in the 60s, um, they, they, they finally, and, and probably I, I, I'm not, the, I'm not an expert on all this stuff, but. But I think that yeah. the uh, the first uh, activity in, that we were became aware of as a, as a in in uh, in uh, China was uh, was during the 1990s, and but nobody really worried about it too much because they were getting all their technology. They didn't get have that much technology. They had to get it from somewhere, and they either had to de- discover it themselves or they uh, became. They took a very, very uh, devious and uh, and uh, interesting uh, strategy, which was to attract American techno- technology companies uh, and offer them cheap labor and and a, a lot of uh, relatively inexpensive uh, uh, domains. And and uh, they, if they supplied the technology, well then. You know, they had all the technology uh, just coming in, flowing in, in in waves, and all they really had to do was to figure out how to uh, how to uh, share in it. In fact, they did, they weren't even subtle about it. They they required that uh, that these companies uh, sign over a lot of their uh, their their commercial technology. Uh, to the uh, to the Chinese government or to the Chinese companies, which in turn were were uh, uh, were uh, governed by the and part of really part of the government. So that they then be, took a, a major leap in the uh, technological capabilities that they had. <clears throat> And, and and also, by the way, they did other things such as send their brightest students over here to uh, go to our engineering schools and and our scientific uh, schools of uh, that where we had the most uh, uh, the, the most forward uh, technology experimentation going on. So they were they they did a mass a major leap. Between the 90s and about uh, about 20 years later, uh, into this whole electronic world, and and now in the last 10 years, they have actually surpassed us in their capabilities uh, for cyber warfare. And uh, in the meantime, and and then of course they also at the same time. Uh, we're uh, exploring space, and now they have a very, a very a robust uh, 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 outer space uh, uh, network as well. And uh, that, by the way, is is a good deal of their their capability as far as uh, in a war situation. That uh, the same the same satellite that could uh, that could uh, actually discover and communicate the uh, a license plate on a car from outer space 
is the same one that could send uh, radar and and other types of uh, 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 mischief to uh, waves uh, into our into our uh, system. So, uh, I mean, we we're we're now at a at a scientific and technological disadvantage in a cyber war, whereas we were the only ones for until probably 10 years ago, we were the only ones that could even think about it. But now that's all changed. And uh, the whole basis for war has changed. It's no longer a nuclear uh, environment. It's no longer, it's never, hasn't been a uh, personnel on the ground kind of environment for a long time. And it's not, and so the only other possibility is naval. And what has happened is uh, China has actually exceeded us in t- in terms of their uh, their naval uh, capabilities as well. So we're we're looking at the at the short end of the stick here. And instead of going and threatening them, we ought to be we ought to be doing uh, and and spending our time on having our our uh, defense uh, military of personnel being trained in woke uh you know theology instead of being uh brought up to speed on all kinds of uh uh the uh, new uh, warfare that's going on it it's just it's insane it's self destructive i mean these people are going these people are going to be the the end of our, our of our civilization if we if if if, if we don't watch out yeah, hold on, Zavat. This is Bob Dawson, Dawson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, this particular segment is brought to you by America the Abyss. Uh, Will America Survive? My latest book, published by LibertyHillPublishing.com, associated with Salem Media. It is now will be available at the beginning of the month, and ladies and gentlemen, you can pre-order this book right now on Amazon.com, and BarnesandNoble.com, Liberty Hill Press, Publishing.com, and 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 we'll so for more information, read the book that talks about the trends that have been going on for the past four years, and the trends will be in the future, and and asking the question, will we? survive as a nation and so far we're off to a negative start here on our show <laughs> yeah, sorry about that <laughs> well you know i mean here's the thing i mean the i mean because i mean the thing is it's uh again i you know, it, it's under the category here of of you know you, you look at this but it goes back to the area of weakness i mean let's go back two years ago uh, you know, Putin did not challenge Donald Trump on this. Trump provided aid, military defensive weapons, 
that you know increased that would have increased the cost of any further incursion into the Ukraine. Well, plus plus and, all of the uh, the financial and commercial threats. I mean that that really did. We cut off his his uh, pipeline pipeline into uh, into Germany. I mean that that was cutting off his main main source of expected revenue for the next fifty years. Yeah. Well, I mean the thing, yeah, it's absolutely, and it's you know, and it goes back down to the other aspect that comes into play is so is uh, I mean we go back is that the energy side of the equation. I mean, we also were energy experts. We were competing with Putin on the energy market. So, whereas, okay, you know, the strategy now is let's reduce the amount of fossil fuels, which has increased our price of energy, but worse, it's giving Putin as well as OPEC and, you know, more say in the energy market, more say in energy prices. I mean, more say, quite frankly, uh, who gets what. And, and we've increased – by doing so, we've also increased you know, potential revenues in the future. It's an amazing I – mean, it's you – know, so the, you know, this is definitely you – know, let me put it this way. You know, if Donald, if Donald Trump was the puppet of Putin, uh, it seems to me – Putin got a hell of a lot more from the Biden, you know, Obama Biden administration than he ever did from Trump, and right now we'll see what happens in this crisis. But uh, you know, he's well, basically it, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's just also uh, just take just take the uh, the pipeline. <clears throat> What's happened already is that. Uh, the UK has decided to go and start beefing up uh, their, uh, their their troop strength in uh, in the uh, near near is I, I'm not quite sure which uh, what the geography is here, but they're 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 deploying more uh, troops to uh, to that part of the world, and uh, and. Uh, the Germans won't let them go uh, over uh, their own airspace, which means that the Germans, which is they're the strongest company in Europe, if something does go go haywire here in this uh, in this uh, adventure by by the uh, by the Russians, then the the Germans apparently are not or they're certainly not very reliable about being there yeah, in the in the NATO group and they've been the mainstay of, of much of much of the group of the uh, NATO alliance uh, in in the last 40 years uh they're now uh, they're look it looks like they're uh they're leaning toward toward Russia i mean this is incredible they would never have ex- they would never ever have uh Agreed to that with uh, in the Trump administration. Trump had him, you know, he had them uh, talking, uh, talking nice and 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 being careful, but not now. 
just one thing leads to another. Yeah. Well, weaknesses breed more weakness. That's basically what it comes down to. And, and so it's uh, it, it, it's uh, you know, absolutely. Uh, right. Okay. Well, actually, here's the interesting story. It sounds like to me uh, there were two stories. One saying that the Brits took a long detour around Germany to deliver weapons in case the Russians, and now now they're saying that the Germans didn't deny. So I don't know what, you know, what story you know true is not, but uh, they're saying what? But well, now they're claiming that they you know the Germans are claiming that they didn't deny uh, the British uh, you know, airspace. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, well, they don't want to right. admit it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, but I'm hearing well, say different stories. The idea but that, the that if, even even the idea that 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 might happen, uh, even if it isn't, it turns out it isn't true. Just shows you that there's been a real uh, changing of the guard here in terms of of Russia. And uh, and and uh, the and the so-called NATO. I mean, the whole idea of NATO was to keep to keep uh, the Russians out of Europe. You know, and now you've got the <laughs> you got the people that were being supposed to be uh, invaded at the time of, and were invaded at the end of the of the Second World War, uh, being the, the ones to invite them back in. There, there, supposedly, anyway. So that's <laughs> it's a strange world we live in. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing uh, coming to this because here is another story. One hour ago, I want to just quote this uh, from Tom Cotton, who's one of the sharper guys out there, especially on defense issues. And he basically, and this is uh, what he's saying. He's he. Tom Cotton ripped into Germany over the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, suggesting that Berlin didn't have the Ukraine's back, and part prioritizing the pipeline over defending uh, you know, you know, defending uh, you know, the Ukraine. So, interesting. Uh, well, you know what Tom Cotton had to say because again, it's I mean, what were you know, is this because here's what Putin is attempting to do he's attempting to destroy NATO or undermine NATO. This is the reason why, for example, he doesn't want he wants to be able to tell tell NATO, I want a veto power who joins you, and he wants does not want to have NATO troops sitting there in Poland and the Baltics. It's not just about the Ukraine anymore, it goes beyond that. So and here's another story. Okay. And again, it's interesting. Again, you know, different stories. So I'm going to look at this because this is the most recent one. It comes from Defense News. Okay. Officials have rejected renewed requests for lethal defensive equipment in face of a massive buildup. And in effect, they're basically, Germans are basically saying, we're not going to let you defend yourself. Uh, 
So, I mean, there's not even unity among NATO on this, if this is what I'm reading here correctly. Sounds uh, like the end of NATO, really. Well, I mean, this will be an interesting thing because, you know, if indeed, you know, because this is a, what is Putin's goal. And you got to look at it this way. All of Central Europe is looking at this as well because they, you know, Poland's part of NATO. You know, the Baltics are part of NATO. You have Finland thinking about joining NATO. You know, the Czech Republic is part of NATO. I mean, these are countries that wean themselves off the Soviet Empire. And if they feel abandoned by Germany uh, or NATO, I mean, it's going to be very difficult. Europe becomes a totally different picture if NATO goes away. It certainly does. And it doesn't become a dependable ally of the United States as a result of that. So... And so we're like I said, so we got a lot of trouble. Saying. You got a lot of trouble. I, I mean, mean, there's a lot got, of stake here. Yeah, we've got a new world, a new world order that is actually being developed within one year of of when we uh, were actually sitting on top of the on top of the the world, and now you know we are in very serious. Jeopardy of being uh, dethroned, at least if not if not if not defeated, and this is all because of our friend uh, Mr. Biden and his uh, associates. Okay, here's the other thing. Listen to this. This is uh, coming from today's press conference. Uh, one of the things that Joe Biden did raised a lot of eyebrows when he asked what would cause. A reaction of powerful sanctions. Biden suggested a quote unquote minor incursion by Russia wouldn't prompt that response. Yeah. Would not. Would not. Yeah. Now, I don't know how you define a minor incursion. Uh,. But I'm saying to you right now, if he, you know, he, this, if this is what he just said a mile ago, he's all but saying to Putin, the door is now open. <laughs> I mean, that, it's almost like that, he. That's what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. So, he's a, you know, I, this is incredulous if he. I mean, this is just today. This is just an, uh, an hour ago he said this. That uh, would not do that in press. Wow. You know what? Yeah. If, say, yeah here's the thing. Let me throw this out to you. If Donald Trump would have said that at a press conference, the response would be, what do you expect? He's a Putin stooge. I wonder how many people are now going to say the same thing about Joe Biden. He's a stooge of Putin. Well, well, I think he is. Yeah, I think that there's only there's only uh, two or three possibilities of why 
he is doing what he what he is doing on uh, particularly on the on the foreign front. I mean, there's a lot of things in the domestic area that might have uh, more uh, more exposure, more more common understanding of 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 uh, what his uh, what his administration is all about in the domestic area. For example, the uh, inflation and and the uh, idea of the uh, uh, invasion that we're uh, experiencing on the southern border and and uh, the uh, drug problems and you know the various there, there's various things that. Americans are very aware of inter- internally, but if you start looking at the, on the fe- on the uh, foreign uh, foreign affairs and foreign policy uh, arena, then you're saying um, you're, you're finding that um, it's almost it, there's only there's only two or three ex- ex- uh, possibilities of of why he is doing what he's doing. Number one, I guess, is he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just he's stumbling around, and he's he's, yeah. he's just not making any sense. And the people that are that are advising him are totally incompetent and living in a bubble, and they don't they don't really know or care about what's going on in the rest of the world. I mean, this this, this is one possibility. Another possibility is that he really is. Being uh, essentially uh, uh, aimed, at least, if not uh, uh, instructed by the Chinese, to uh, as to what he's supposed to do in various situations, uh, and that he's drifting in their direction only because he's afraid of what they could do to him if if they ever decided to turn against him personally. And hold on, that's a, yeah. Now hold on to thoughts, Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files. We're going to be right back with this uh, continue, continued discussion here with the Bastion News Radio Network with my good friend, Dr. Larry, who's making a house call here on the Donaldson Files on the Bastion News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Piles here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You can listen to this show every day at 11 a.m., 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Bachelor News.airtime.pro. 
And don't forget this segment is also brought to you by the latest book by yours truly, Tom Donaldson, America at the Abyss, Will America Survive? Uh, we discussed the trends of the last four years, and we discussed the future of this country and where it's going and where it can go. Uh, so buy the book, and you'll learn to, to answer the question, Will America Survive? It will be available at the end of this month, the beginning of February, but you can pre-order this book right now on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Liberty Hill publishing.com and we're back here with Dr. Larry okay Dr. I'm going to change the subject a little bit because there's another interesting uh, segment here uh, now remember how we're always be, everybody's complaining about Donald Trump complaining about the 19th uh, was the 2020 election fair and I mean, listen, these are que- listen to these questions listen to the answer Will the midterm election be fair and legitimate if the voting bill that Joe Biden is pushing is not passed? It depends, according to Joe Biden, on whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people. Some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. I am not saying it's going to be legit. The increase in prospect of being illegitimate, listen to this, is a direct proportion of us not being able to get the reforms passed. In other words, he's all about saying, if you don't pass my bill, then this election can't be a fair election. I mean, he's already making the case that 2022 is an illegitimate congressional election if the Republicans win. Yeah. Well, they've, they've said that to every every. Uh presidential election for the last uh, 20 years yeah yeah well i mean yeah you know you're right but here's the thing i find fascinating because he's in effect he's you know he's in effect saying you know he's in effect saying you know you don't do it my way obviously it's going to be an unfair election and i i just think it's fascinating that if you and I were to sit back and say, if these reforms are passed, it's not going to be a fair election. We would have a stronger case to actually make that. We would be guilty of conspiracy, insurrection, and God knows what. And I just think, it, you know, and here's Joe Biden basically saying, you don't pass my reforms. There's no way. You know, in other words, you, if I lose this election, it's not because nobody likes my policy and that nobody likes me. It's because they stole the election again. <laughs> well, on the other hand, we're also saying the same thing ourselves. In other words, if he if his reform does pass, it will be a <laughs> it will be a. Uh, a, a, a uh, the election will be cheated, and and a lot of us think that's what happened last time, and uh, so this is just you know this th- that part I think is understandable, and it's and it's not uh, it's not over the line um, because uh, both sides seem to think that way of the other, and yeah. and 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 in <laughs> fact 
the whole issue as it stands now is not uh, a federal issue at all. It's it's a state issue, and of course that's what he's trying to stop. But uh, whether or not we get cheating on the next election, really at this stage depends on the states, and that's that for the most part seems to be running in in, in the in a good direction, which he yeah. wants to stop. Well, but it- yeah, well, here's the thing, coming to play, because I, I guess I'm going to go back to my original point, because obviously, again, I want to make the point that somewhere along the line, you know, two things. Number one, you know, you can make the argument, and one of the problems we've had over to me is somewhere along the line, we better accept the fact that, A, if we don't start accepting the results of election. There's a point somewhere where, you know, you know, you know, we start going to the street if we don't like the election result. And that's and certainly, you know, uh, and it's a, it certainly is there. And the other problem, the other problem to me is this, is that, you know, you made the point they're trying to control a federal control of the election. You know, we're going to control the state, and I, and I'm going to go back to the Georgia bill that was passed. Uh, last year, and you look at the Georgia bill, there are two things that come to your mind. There are two things. Number one, if you were a Democrat, you would like the idea that you get 17 days, including Sunday, for early voting. They did not eliminate the drop boxes, and they did not add any additional conditions absentee ballot saying, okay, we're not going to sit back and say you have to have a great reason for absentee ballots. On exchange, if you're a Republican, you've got some safety guidelines, namely, you know, ballots have to be in by a certain time, like on election day to be counted, and and they have to be mailed in to be collected on that day. And number two, you had voter ID. You have to have an ID, which to me was a pretty sense. I mean, this to me is what used to be called a compromise. And and this is the and the thing is, there's a point somewhere if you're not going to accept this kind of a compromise, where let's say both sides get something, you get more time to vote, and you get the ID, and you get some guardrails to make sure people get voted. Uh, you know, there's a point. You know, my question I would throw back is, why should I negotiate with you when you're basically saying you're not going to give me anything? And basically, I mean, this to me. For a president of the United States to essentially say, this is the president. I mean, we're not saying the fact if we don't get what we want and we do not win, the election is illegitimate. I mean, he's already saying right now, if I don't get the bill that I want, uh, this has to be an illegitimate election. And for a president to basically say in advance of an election, this thing has been broke, you know, this thing is fixed. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it seems to me, if Donald Trump said this, we'd be talking impeachment. Your thoughts, Larry? Well, I think I think you're right about if Donald Trump had won, 
that we would not be in the jeopardy we were in now. I think that a lot of things would have gone better for us, and I think that the future would look a lot a lot brighter. Uh, the fact that he that he was not elected, or at least that that the election turned out against him, whether he was elected or truly uh, actually elected or not, which it seems. It seems to me that there is plenty of reason to doubt that. Um, I'm not sure what the what the actual what the actual uh, truth of it is, but yeah. but uh, it was never there was never any never any uh, judicial action that was allowed us to uh, decide which way it, it should have gone. But anyway, that's all past us now, and we haven't really got a, this idea of, of trying to uh, uh, take the uh, re what they call decertify the election of uh, of twenty twenty. In in my estimation, is is uh, that's that's nonsense uh i don't i don't think that's going to happen i think it's a waste of time to try to make it happen i think we have to do what we have to do now is look forward and try to solve the problem we're in and yeah. uh and well, so here's the, here's the yeah, but here's the answer here's the answer because okay there's a a lady who i i know very well who i've gotten to know over the past year uh gina Swanaba, and she Runs a group called VoterReference.com, and uh, and she keeps tabs on me. Basically, it's a website for elections, and basically it's like on timeline where you, know, you can go on and see who's voting, who's not voting, that type of deal. It's an open, transparent. And one of the things she did, like she's like so far, she's got like 13 states that she's got up on the website, and she. Uh, and she, one of the things she looked at is she said, okay, is she found in like the 13 states that she's now, you know, that she, she looked at 13 states. Out of those 13 states, there were 293,000 more votes cast than actual voters. Actual voters. And, and again, I'm not saying this was, you know, proof, and she herself would not say, this is proof the election was stolen. In fact, she would say many of these numbers in these states are far below, you know, the margin of fraud for Joe Biden. You know, those states in which Biden won, these numbers would still be below uh, what, uh, you know, below the margin of victory for Joe Biden. But still, if somebody came to me and said to me, we got 22,000, on the average, we got 22,000 more votes than voters. And, you know, and when you're talking about close elections in, in battleground states, I would say to you that's an issue that you might want to tackle and want to reform and deal with. And, and this is certainly, to me, again, it's not proof that the 2020 election was stolen. It is proof that there was a lot of numerical anomalies that occurred that cannot be simply dismissed out of hand. And she's got it. You know, this is some of the evidence that she's presented. And again, as she stated, you know, you know, many of these states, 
you know, the you know the margin of victory for Biden was significantly higher than the you know than the number of you know than the data I just presented here. But let me give an example here. We're talking like Pennsylvania, forty-one thousand more votes than voters. Well, Virginia, sixty thousand more votes than voters. And think of this term. And this think of it this way: in the case of Virginia, that you you know. You know, Biden won by a margin of 450,000 votes. So certainly, even if Biden took all those 60,000 votes, he still wins. But the state of the governor's race the next year was decided by 72,000 votes. So we're almost in that 60,000 vote range, you know, of something that could have possibly have happened. You know, I mean, that's what we're looking at, 60,000 votes. Uh in an election, you know, determined by 72,000. You know, you can decide for yourself, but it seems to me that's a pretty good margin of error that you may want to start thinking about if I was a, in a bipartisan mode. That's my view. Uh, your thoughts? Well, we're almost out of time. I, <clears throat> I think that the, the issue should have been uh, adjudicated Investigated and adjudicated by a, uh, a nonpartisan objective uh, source, which you would normally think of as the Justice Department, and then depending upon them, uh, would also then go to the to the courts and to the Supreme Court. That never happened, and because it didn't happen, I don't think anybody really knows or can prove either way and yeah. and so i think we have to accept what happened because we're not gonna there's i see no chance of actually reversing it at this stage and uh, and i think it's i think it's uh, it's it's the only the only reason to pursue the investigative part of it is to be able to reform it and that's happening in a number of states and and i hope that it happens in all of the states, or at least enough to uh, give us a, uh, some sense of the integrity of the next election. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. And, and, and again, because I, I'll go back to the uh, to my original point is when you have a president of the United States at a press conference basically saying, if I don't get the bill, the voting bill that I want, you know, we may be seeing ill. You know, we may view the re, any victory by the other party as illegitimate. And and I'm just saying, I mean, to me, I mean, this is essentially what he is saying at the press conference today. This is I'm looking. I just got the you know transcripts. I'm looking at this. I'm like, if Donald Trump would have said this, we'd be talking impeachment. We literally be talking impeachment. And the idea that a, you know, that Joe Biden is, is you know, basically, as we're going to discuss in a later show, um, you know, some of the issues coming up on the foreign policy side, he didn't have a very good year to begin with. And certainly his unpopularity is due to the fact of the failure of his policy. And on that score, I'm going to say good night to the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Coming up next is the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. As we explore 
EMP in cyber attacks with one of the leading experts, Peter Fry. Peter Fry. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're we're very very anxious to um, uh, hear your uh, thoughts, and I, I would like to just start with the two overall questions, which uh, which are uh, bothering me a lot. <laughs> uh, one is uh, for our audience, particularly including me uh, and and maybe and Tom. Uh, the uh, first question is to explain to people what the uh, results of a uh, of an attack of a cyber attack could be on the United States uh, uh, infrastructure and, and and culture and civilization, and then finally, uh, what is the uh, chance of uh, people uh, of our enemies being able to effect that? And let me mention also our second uh, uh, guest tonight is uh, Dr. George Landreth, uh, who is the president of the Frontiers of Freedom. And welcome uh, to you, too, Dr. Landreth. Uh, it's, we'll, it's great uh, to be, be with you. We'll be hearing from all of us in a few minutes. So uh, we'd like to give you the podium, uh, Dr. Pry, and, and uh, try to start getting us in, involved in something we should have all been been aware of for a long time and uh, haven't been. Well, it may, be, it may be a little too late for us to become aware of the threats from cyber warfare 
an electromagnetic pulse because there's a distinct possibility they could happen in the next uh, in the near future. The uh, uh, as a result, the Russians have given and the Ukrainian crisis have given an ultimatum to the United States and NATO uh, to accede to their demands or face the consequences in the next 48 hours. And if, if there is a war that results from this, it's going to be a, a brand new kind of war that, that the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians have been preparing for for years in which the United States fundamentally doesn't understand. They, we do not understand how the Russians and Chinese think about cyber warfare what, and what the capabilities are. Uh, and to start with, you know, one of the things that's fundamentally wrong with our approach to cyber warfare is that we think it's limited uh, to computer viruses and hacking and the kinds of things that happen on the Internet. You know, uh, in the West doesn't understand that the Russian and Chinese and others define in their military doctrines, they define cyber warfare as including EMP attacks by both non-nuclear as well as nuclear weapons. Uh, it's a, uh, and moreover, they believe you can win a war just by this means alone. And they're right. And the EMP commission basically for 20 years has been trying to warn and educate Washington and the Pentagon about this. Uh, but we finally, when president Trump came in, you know, uh, after all those years, we did get an executive order, you know, to try to protect U.S. critical infrastructures. But almost nothing has been done as a consequence of that. Uh, to answer your original question, what does it mean, you know, in terms of a cyber war on the United States? What would the consequences be? Basically, we're talking about a long-term blackout, not the kind of temporary blackout that you get with blizzards, but a protracted one. In fact, it would destroy key assets in the national electric grid, like SCADAs and transformers uh, that cannot be replaced, or it would take too long to replace them. And as a consequence, it would basically be a race between trying to repair the electric grid in time before millions of Americans start dying from starvation, disease, and societal collapse. I mean, immediately, there'd be no water. We only have enough, there'd be no, uh, only, there's only enough food to feed people in local grocery stores for about three days. The whole nation, we only have enough food to feed 330 million Americans for 30 days, and that food supply, which is in big regional warehouses, would begin to spoil as soon as the electricity is gone off, and we wouldn't have any way of distributing the food because transportation systems wouldn't work. You can't get, wouldn't be able to get gasoline. You know, people who are in the winter wouldn't be able to heat, heat their houses. If you're talking, if the cyber attack includes an EMP attack, a nuclear EMP attack, which in the Russian and Chinese and North Korean and Iranian doctrine is part of cyber warfare, then your cars wouldn't start. Uh, the personal computer on your desk wouldn't work. Basically, mo all of the critical infrastructures that support life and make us a modern civilization would be subtracted from the equation of our society. Uh, you think of cyber warfare and EMP as an anti-technology weapon, which basically shuts down all of those things that are necessary to sustain life and a modern economy. 
and other bad things happen, especially with the nuclear EMP. And this can happen with non-nuclear EMP weapons as well. You know, uh, natural gas pipelines would explode everywhere. You'd probably have firestorms in cities. Uh, the nuclear reactors, we've got about 100, 100 of them, about 100 nuclear power reactors spread out over the country. They would go Fukushima in about seven days when, they, when the big grid fails, you know, because their emergency generators would run out of fuel and the uh, batteries would only last about three days, just like in Fukushima. Our own nuclear reactors, well, the Fukushima reactors were patterned and designed after our reactors, and we still have that problem with the reactors. So this would be a catastrophe for our nation. And initially, and the re one of the things that mo makes it so attractive as a way of warfare from the point of view of our adversaries, uh, you know, is that initially you're not, you wouldn't be killing that many people. You know, the, the, the number of casualties, especially if it was a cyber warfare uh, and, uh, and non-nuclear EMP weapons, uh, you'd, you'd kill very few people. And the, uh, uh, but it would start the clock ticking, but you'd paralyze the U.S. military because the U.S. cannot project military power without the civilian electric grid. 99% of the electricity that is required for our military bases for power projection so that we could go and defend NATO or defend Taiwan depends on that civilian electric grid. And when you take the electric grid down, you're paralyzing the military too. Uh, and the clock starts ticking for a president, and he has to choose, you know, do I go to war and try project, projecting what little power I can overseas against an adversary in a conflict that I'm sure to lose, you know, because I'm going into, into battle with one hand tied with more, with both my arm hands tied behind my back, or do I, do I use all the assets that still operate, which would include military assets, to desperately try to recover the grid before millions of Americans die, you know, and our adversaries are counting on the idea that the president would make that latter decision. Uh, and, uh, and I hope he would make that latter decision, because in the Constitution, the first obligation is the defense of the American people. And that's what would be at stake. You know, the EMP Commission concluded, this is not my personal view. Uh, I mean, I agree with this, but people often attribute this estimate to me when it's not my estimate, it's Congressional EMP Commission's estimate, that if we had a nationwide blackout that lasted one year, we could lose up to 90% of our population to starvation, disease, and societal collapse. And we did the numbers on that. And that's a, that's a, a solid conclusion. So that's what we're facing. And God well, forbid, it's, it's what could happen, you know, in the very near future, if we end up getting in a war with Russia over Ukraine, uh, you know, uh, because that's how they will attack us. That's certainly how they will attack Ukraine. They've been practicing using cyber weapons to black out the Ukrainian electric grid every Christmas for several years now. Uh, the only year that it hasn't happened was this year because we're in this supreme crisis over Ukraine. So I'll get off my soapbox because it sounds like you may well, have we, had a second question or may, might want to make well, a comment. Well, we, we have a break coming. <clears throat> and uh, on, on, uh, you're listening to the... Uh, Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. 
A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. This is, and don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my uh, Tom Donaldson's latest book, or I should say yours truly, America at the Abyss, uh, Well, America Survive. You can order, pre-order this book right now uh, before it's actually released at the end of the month through Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and LibertyHillPublishing.com, a subsidiary of Salem Media. And now back to our show with uh, Peter and George. Well, let me let me start off with with a question, and then I'm sure uh, George, you'd have some, and Tom. What about our nuclear uh, capability? If if they uh, executed a uh, an attack of this sort, would we have the time and, and the uh, ability to respond with our nuclear weapons? No, we wouldn't. Uh, we probably wouldn't have the capability to respond, you know, because the Russians have a kind of nuclear EMP weapon that the United States does not have. It's called a, They call it a super EMP weapon. And uh, uh, it generates electromagnetic pulse field strengths that far exceed the military hardening standards uh, that we have on our strategic nuclear forces and command and control systems. The, uh, uh, back in 2008, Dr. William Graham, who was the chairman of the EMP commission and my boss testified to Congress, you know, that we only had hardened our, our uh, strategic retaliatory forces to 50,000 volts per meter EMP uh, super EMP weapons can generate a hundred thousand to 200,000 volts per meter far exceeding their hardening. So they would be, they, they could be paralyzed the missiles in their silos, the bombers on their bases, the ballistic missile submarines in ports, even the submarines at sea, they need to get an emergency action message from the president in order to execute. They need to get the unlocking codes and the, the target they're supposed to shoot at and the systems that we would use to communicate to, with submerged submarines are based on the land and those two would be paralyzed by uh, by super EMP weapons even the Takamo aircraft uh, would, would, would be paralyzed so that's one of the other things that makes a nuclear EMP attack particularly attractive because a single weapon you could win a nuclear war that way the uh, uh, in ter- in ter- what about our ballistic missile early warning radars, you might ask? Wouldn't we see them coming? Uh, well, uh, the Russians and Chinese have both demonstrated a fractional orbital bombardment systems, or it's called a FOB, and this has such long range, they've actually openly boasted about it. 
you know, it can send a warhead away from the United States, you know, so it looks like it's might be a satellite it's disguised as a satellite you know it doesn't look like an attack and uh it goes on a southern trajectory goes over antarctica goes over the south pole and comes up from the northern uh comes up from the south so that it's approaching us from the south and we don't have any ballistic missile early warning radars facing south or interceptors facing south so we're blind and defenseless from that direction and then when they satellite, quote-unquote, uh, gets over the United States, it would detonate. The first warning we would have would be the EMP itself, and then it would be too late. And that's the reason the other threat is these new hypersonic warheads, the hypersonic glide vehicles that travel at such low altitude that our ballistic missile early warning radars can't see them until it's too late. Even if they shot, went the other way, and went over the North Pole and came directly at us, if they're using hypersonic glide vehicles, uh, again, we would be too late in being able to respond. So our nuclear deterrent is uh, uh, EMP, uh, you know, renders it, uh, 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 both threatens its ability to operate and uh, enables them to achieve surprise. And this is a, you know, a revolution in military affairs, this, uh, this particular approach. And the EMP attack, of course, especially if you're using nuclear weapons, uh, would be the last part of what I call a blackout war, uh, you know, which is described in my new book, Blackout Warfare, that was just, you had alluded it to it uh, before. It describes the first book written in the West that describes the, this new way of warfare being planned by our adversaries in great detail and how cyber weapons would be coordinated with non-nuclear EMP weapons. And then the, the last component of that, the most effective, the strongest component would be the nuclear EMP attack itself. This would be preceded by cyber attacks that would do things like shutting down our command control systems, interfering with early warning satellites and all the rest to make it, uh, to make it uh, an even more effective surprise attack. George, do you have any ideas uh, that you'd like to contribute here? Absolutely. Well, one of the things I think is important to realize, because when I've spoken on this topic before, sometimes people say like, well, yeah, sure, it'd be inconvenient because they, you know, knock out our grid and stuff, but we just get it fixed and put it back up. And I think they misunderstand because they think in terms of, I've seen a hurricane come through and it knocks down some lines and we, in three days, get them all back up. And I'm like, yeah, but that's a localized, small-scale attack. Imagine We don't even have enough spare transformers to replace 80 to 90% of the transformers if we had to at once. In other words, they haven't even been made yet. So the problem wouldn't be could we repair fast enough. The question would be could we then make the things we need to repair things without having power and other modern amenities. And so the, the point I – you know, Dr. Pry is exactly right that this would be catastrophic. It is not an EMP is a, 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 a well, it's we've always had a technological edge probably since certainly the end of World War II. Um, and this is a way to take that from us and send us essentially back to the 19th century in terms of technology. And uh, while they could maintain whatever uh, modern amenities they have. So 
I think it would be a mistake for people to assume and say to themselves, oh, well, you know, and Dr. Price just he's just giving us the worst case scenario. I would say no, he's actually not giving you the worst case scenario. He's just giving you what the likely outcome would be of such an attack. And um, and also even just even if they don't want to follow it up with a military attack, they almost wouldn't have to because America wouldn't be able to survive without the things that make it work, without refrigeration, without getting the ability to travel. Like, for example, every vehicle that we have on the roads that is after, I think it's 1969 or 1970, wouldn't work. They'd all be a piece of junk sitting in the freeway, just clogging roads. They'd be huge paperweights, but they wouldn't work. And so um, just everything would grind to a halt. And, uh, and as a result of that, even, and I think that's the problem would be is even if we had the ability to launch a counterattack, and for the sake of an argument, let's say we do. I, I think you know, Dr. Pry is right. But let's say we do. A president might not want to launch nuclear war when all we have is essentially power outages all over the country. He, because there's this idea that everything has to be proportional. And so then the question is, you know, so the bottom line is we need to make sure we can defend against this threat because asking a president – I mean, ask yourself, what are the chances that Joe Biden would respond in any sort of forceful way? He'd probably say, you know, to be blunt, he'd probably write a really tersely, uh, uh, you know, press release and have a statement, you know, at the at the U.N. or something about how outrageous this is. But um, so I, I just think it's people have to understand this is a very real risk. It is a very real problem. And this is why when people say things like. We spend more money on military than, you know, our competitor, you know, our, our adversaries do. Um, they might want to rethink that because, A, we don't actually know what they're spending, and, B, um, we need to spend enough to protect ourselves. Not, our, what we need to do is not compare ourselves to what other countries spend. Yeah, can I call – yes, this time, Dalton. Uh, let me ask this question because, uh, you know, Peter, you made this point of the – you know, what would it cost to catch up? Uh, now, you wrote this in 2020, but you basically stated, you know, what we need to do is harden the infrastructure, deploy space-based missile defense, which will be the brilliant pebbles, and modernize the U- U.S. nuclear up and down. And I'm assuming that uh, we're talking about a trillion dollars overall. Would that be a correct assessment? Yes, that's right. If if it's the article that I'm thinking of uh, that you're, you're yeah. quoting, I was criticizing the expenditure of two tr- $2 trillion on COVID. And I was yes. explain, describing what we could have done with that $2 trillion, that we could have spent a trillion dollars to do everything you described and still had a trillion dollars left over. But we haven't done any well, of that. Th- yeah. Let me ask. Let me ask you this particular. Okay, let me kind of follow up on that. Is you know throughout your years of you know dealing with this issue, you know how you know first of all, what's been the response to the military? Have they backed? You know, have they sat there and said, "Well, this is an issue," or have they been like the rest? You know, we can live. You know, this is you know not worst case. And I guess maybe the question I'm going to say: Has why haven't we heard that much from the military on this threat? 
or have we? Or did I, and I just missed it. Well, the military doesn't like to talk about EMP. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, what we're talking about now was deeply classified up until the EMP commission delivered its reports in 2004 and 2008. Up until that point, most of this stuff was unknown to the public because it was classified by the military because the military was afraid of letting our adversaries know that we were so potentially vulnerable to this. And uh, we had, we actually had a fight with the department of defense um, over that. And it took us, we had to negotiate for three years in order to get our reports published unclassified so that the American people could read them as well as the people who run our utilities, the electric companies and uh, telecommunications people, they have to know in order to be able to defend against, uh, against the threat. That's part of the bad part, part of the DOD. They want to keep everything secret, even if it means, you know, but they were protecting their own systems. Uh, they, were, they were doing what they, uh, the best they could, as they understood it, to protect against the EMP effects from nuclear weapons of normal design, uh, which they thought uh, was they understood, and this was accurate, you know, could generate only up to 50,000 volts per meter. You know, that's why, uh, that's why we're at that level. They didn't know about super EMP weapons, uh, you know, uh, which are the latest in nuclear weapons. They're called third-generation nuclear weapons. That's what Russia and China and even North Korea's got super EMP weapons. We went on a nuclear weapon design holiday at the end of the Cold War. In fact, there was a bill, a law called Spratt Firth that for years actually made it Ill- illegal for our national nuclear laboratories to even think about nuclear weapons as a new design. Now, fortunately, under the Bush administration, we got that repealed. But the, but the penumbra of Spratt Firth lives on in our laboratories. And they became more interested in stockpile stewardship and combating climate change and things of that sort, uh, you know, and the lowest priority is, uh, and, and, and which is stockpile stewardship is maintaining the old fashioned nuclear weapons that are currently in our nuclear deterrent. You know, uh, you know, they go back to Ronald Reagan and before, uh, you know, we keep patching them up and putting them out there. We don't have any, nuclear weapons of new design, none of these third-generation nuclear weapons. But um, uh, so, that's, uh, so the Department of Defense kind of deserves criticism for keeping it secret for so long. That's why we never hardened our critical infrastructures. China and Russia have hardened their critical infrastructures. Uh, you know, uh, we only hardened our, our nuclear deterrent, and as it turns out, not to the high enough level. Uh, DOD is better prepared, is the best prepared of all of our, uh, of all, all of our, uh, of all the government for this. Department of Energy, uh, I wish they were in charge of hardening the critical infrastructures. If I had my way, I would have their experts going out there and just hardening the grid, hardening the, uh, you know, the, the electric utilities have been in the dark about EMP too. They act like they know what they're talking about, but they don't understand cyber warfare or EMP. They don't even understand how to protect the Texas grid against uh, an unexpected snowstorm, against a blizzard. Yeah. On that thought, yeah, we, we, uh, we have to take a little break here. Let's take a breath and, uh, and then we can talk about what we can do about this whole thing. 
Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my latest book. You can pre-order right now on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, as well as LibertyHillPublishing.com. America the Abyss, will America survive? And now back to our program, uh, Dr. Larry. This is the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and uh, <clears throat> we're talking to uh, Dr. Peter Dry, Pry, and uh, we're all getting very uh, nervous. Um, what can we do about this? Is there any any practical? Of course, if it happens the next 48 hours, that's that's a moot question, but. But supposing we live through this next uh this next six months, is there any uh is there any what what can we do? Well there's really no excuse for us to be vulnerable to EMP. That's one of the reasons. How long I would it take how long would it take to harden the the uh the network? Well moving at a at a normal pace, if if what you were doing is uh is uh Going in and uh, as as systems age out, uh, you know you'd go in and, and replace them or uh, or upgrade them. It would normally take about three and a half years, all right. Uh, but a lot could be done in six months if we had an EMP, what I call an EMP Manhattan project, uh, run out of the White House. You know, with the same kind of priority that we gave to the original Manhattan project, which invented the atomic bomb. You know, we managed to invent the atomic bomb back in World War II in just three years, you know. Uh, but in six months, you know, we could, uh, uh, we could harden the transformers and SCADAs that service the major metropolitan areas. There's about 500 extra high-voltage transformers out of the 2,000 that support our modern electronic civilization. 500 of them are the most important. They're the ones that service the cities. Uh, we could harden the nuclear reactors. Uh, probably in six months. It's not hard to harden a nuclear reactor uh, and prepare it uh, to survive. The EMP hardening isn't that, isn't that difficult. And if we did that, it would give us a fighting chance to quickly bring back uh, and repair the, uh, the damaged port portions of our, of our electric grid. The, the nuclear reactors, a hundred of them spread across the country, would become, instead of liabilities, they would become islands of survivability. And the transformers and skaters around the major metropolitan areas, you know, should be enough with smart planning to keep the water flowing, you know, to 
and they keep the food support critical infrastructure that services the major metropolitan areas working. The long-term solution, the, what I would like to see happen, the best long-term long solution, if we have time, you know, is to start building EMP hardness, designing transformers, skaters, and other critical equipment that's necessary for the survival of our civilization, design it right into the system. Uh, 50 years of experience with the Department of Defense shows that it's much less expensive to design EMP hardness into the system at the blueprint phase. Uh, it only adds 1% to 6% to the cost of manufacturing. That's much cheaper than retrofitting. And we could start off with the biggest, most important electronic assets to harden. And eventually, I believe, as we started doing that, we would learn how to do it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and it would get to the point where your the personal computer sitting on your desk and everything, your refrigerator, everything would basically be EMP survivable, and we wouldn't have to worry about EMP anymore. It's a existential threat, and there aren't many you can take off the table and stop worrying about. But this is one that there's no excuse to be vulnerable to it. You can take it off the table. And if I could, you know, and we have proven as a civilization that we can do this, and, and it can actually be done relatively pain, painlessly because there's an e, a natural EMP threat that almost everything is already protected against, and that's lightning. You know, lightning happens all the time, unlike EMP. And so the electronics companies, everybody who sells electronic stuff knew, well, you know, it's got to be able to survive lightning. And even the personal computer on your desk is survivable against lightning. If you look at the plug that goes into the wall, it's a fat plug. That's because there's a little surge arrestor in there, and it isn't a miracle that we were able to come up with a, a little surge arrestor that can fit in the plug in your wall that can stop a bolt of lightning from entering into a personal computer. And we did that. There was no big debate about it. Nobody fought to do it for 20 years. Nobody had to pass a bill in Congress. You know, it's just that the manufacturers realized and, and we have electrical engineering standards that says, well, if you're going to build an, a piece of electronics, an important piece of electronics, it should be survivable against lightning. And so they just did it. We, we can do the same mean? thing with EMP. Well, it means that you, uh, you know, build into the, uh, to the device a Faraday cage or a blocking device, the personal computer or, 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 or a surge arrestor. You know, your, your, your personal computer is the little the thing I was talking about is an example of a surge arrestor. It's like a uh, fuse that causes an air gap, and, it, and, and so the, the lightning can't jump across that and get into it. And how does that work in terms of a large installation? Well, in terms of an extra high-voltage transformer, for example, you know, you could use any one of those techniques. You could put the transformer inside of a Faraday cage. A Faraday cage doesn't have to be a solid piece of metal. You know, it can actually be like chicken wire, for example, could actually serve as a, a Faraday cage. But uh, it has to be electromagnetically contiguous so that the whole transformer is surrounded by it. Uh, you know, another solution could be a surge arrestor so that the lines that go into the transformer have got a big surge arrestor. Such surge arresters actually already exist. There are people who manufacture them. You know that that could be installed on the uh, uh, that could be installed on the transformers, and they would protect the transformer in the same way that that little surge arrestor in your personal computer 
protects against lightning, except when you're talking about EMP, it's much more powerful and it's faster than lightning. And so it's got to be a special surge arrestor. We haven't gotten to the point where we can build a surge arrestor against EMP that is that small. You know, they're, they're, right now they're big and clunky, and the kinds of things that you would use them for are protecting big transformers. But as we work on it, you know, I'm, I'm sure that eventually we would be able to downsize it, miniaturize the protection, so that, uh, you know, so that we could protect against an EMP just the same way pretty much that we protect against a bolt of lightning. Uh, automobiles, you know, it would only cost about $100 not to give 100% protection, but to very significantly mitigate the EMP threat to automobiles. There are things called ferrite tubes. They're little plastic tubes. You can pick, up, pick, pick them up in any electronics store, you know. Uh, uh, they, they've got... Uh, little bits of iron embedded in the plastic. And if you put those on the long wires of a car, the EMP has to connect into those wires in order to follow them down to the chip, the electronic chip to burn it out, uh, you know, because the, the, the wavelength of an EMP is too large to directly control into the chip. It has to have a pathway, and the pathway is going to be the wires. So those, uh, those uh, ferrite tubes would make it much harder for the EMP to couple into the wires, and it would greatly increase the survivability of an automobile for just 100 bucks. I had an idea, you know, maybe somebody from Jiffy Lube is listening, but I think, you know, if Jiffy Lube offered uh, the service of making your car EMP survivable, you know, uh, you could do it in an hour. Uh, drive your car into Jiffy Lube, have them put the ferrite tubes on, you know, and uh, and you could drive away with your car more survivable, uh, even though it's a modern, uh, even though it's a modern automobile. That's just an example. If you got more serious about it, you know, you could make uh, uh, at, at low cost uh, our, our automobiles coming right off the assembly line. You could make them survivable. Same thing with airplanes. Same thing with anything. Uh, is there, is it's, there uh, any... it's a problem. The problem. The problem has not been the technology. And the problem is not the cost. We know how to protect against EMP. It doesn't cost that much. The problem is the politics of EMP. You know, when I first started working at this at the unclassified level in Congress, you know, before that I was the CIA's EMP expert, and that was all classified, and we had our first, uh, you know, I thought, oh, great, we'll educate Congress, and this problem will be solved in a year. We'll write a bill, and we'll... that was back in 1995. And here I, I grossly underestimated resistance that you would encounter from the electric power industries, from the bureaucracy, the federal bureaucracy, from the bureaucracies at all levels. And here we are, we're still unprotected, and it's because of the politics of EMP. It's not because it's that hard to do or, or that it costs so much. Is there any, is there any sympathetic um, uh, source of uh, support for, for this in the political field? I mean, like, for instance, are there are there certain uh, senators or uh, representatives that are that are aware of it and that you talk to all the time? And, oh, my and, friend, the Congress of the United States, the Republicans and Democrats both are on our side. President Trump is on our side. President Biden is on our side. You know, uh, President Biden, President Trump wrote, I helped write it. The EMP Commission helped write it. 
the, the 2019 executive order was designed to protect not just the electric grid, but all our, our, our critical infrastructures, and to do so quickly. That's what the executive order was designed to do. And President Biden has continued that executive order. And President Biden, in his infrastructure bill, has put hundreds of millions of dollars into that are supposed to go toward advancing national EMP preparedness. But unfortunately, you know, under the Biden administration, uh, you know, what people don't understand, you know, the big problem is not the con- Congress. Under the National Defense Authorization Act, I believe this is the first time it ever happened in history. In 2020, Republicans and Democrats alike incorporated President Trump's executive order. I think it's the first time an executive order has been incorporated into the most important bill Congress passes, the National Defense Authorization Act. In effect, Congress was saying to the federal bureaucracy, this, is, this EMP executive order is not just an executive order. It is the law, and you must implement it. But, you know, I think we have learned that the country is not run by Congress, and the country is not run by the White House. The country is run by a resistant federal bureaucracy. We have 10,000 Dr. Fauci's. 10,000 Dr. Fauci's in that system who don't get elected, who can never be fired. Uh, They retire into fat jobs in the utilities and industries that don't want to spend a penny on EMP protection. And that's why nothing, that's one of the, one of the reasons nothing gets done. And um, uh, so we have, uh, if, if we, if we were still a constitutional Republic of the America I grew up in, you know, when, if the president, signed an executive order, the bureaucracy would salute and do it. Or if Congress passed a law, the bureaucracy would follow it. If we were still in that America, we would not be talking about this problem. The problem would already be solved. But that's not the America we're in today. You know, and today the the federal bureaucracy has more power than the Congress or the president. And I think we have, and not just the... We're going to stop right there. We've got a break here. And uh, we'll be right back here on the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can buy my latest book. I'll pre-order my latest book at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Will America do this? Will America survive? And now back to our show. And uh, I have a question for you, Peter, and I and also I'm going to follow up with you in this, George, as well. Is you mentioned the bureaucracy? Is this more inertia? Or are there people within the bureaucracy who simply don't, you know, want, you know, they simply are not interested in this program, or they simply don't want it done? Okay. In part, it's in, 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 in part, it's inertia. You know, because these people can't be fired and they constantly get promoted, they think they know best, and uh, and have gotten in the habit of of, of basically doing whatever they want to do, and. It doesn't matter what, Cong- what the Congress or the president says. They'll find excuses. They're not, they won't overtly uh, defy Congress, but they'll have meetings and conferences and uh, the, all the money. I, I predict 
uh, one of the things President Trump did in the executive order that was very good was that a, uh, a progress report is due once a year to the White House, and it's unclassified, also due to the American people, basically, to report on how much progress have they made. And I predict it's, it's due March 25th, I believe. Uh, and I predict that this progress report, just like the past ones, will say, oh, we're, we're, we've made great progress. We've had all these meetings, we've had conferences, and we have a lot of studies that are being done on EMP. They won't say anything because they're not doing anything, not a single Faraday cage, not a single surge arrestor, you know, nothing installed on the grid to actually protect it. And so that's how they get away with it. Then there are people who are just hostile actors, particularly under the Trump administration. One example, you know, was Chris Krebs. You know, he was the uh, director of the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, a holdover from the Obama administration. President Trump had a lot of those people, holdovers in the Obama. In effect, President Trump was trying to run the country with the Obama administration. You know, he had only a very few of his own people at the top. And Krebs was actively sabotaging. I actually wrote a, 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 in my book, The Power and the Light, I describe Chris Krebs' efforts to sabotage. Uh, there aren't thousands of people holding up the EMP train. You know, there's about six people in that bureaucracy in key positions. If Trump had fired one of them, I think they would have gotten afraid and, uh, and the job would have been, been done. But Krebs was basically against, just like all of them, you know, didn't want President Trump to succeed in any of these things. And, um, and uh, others, uh, you know, are planning to, there's a rotating door uh, between the Department of Energy and the electric power industry that doesn't want to do anything about EMP. You know, if you do their bidding while you're in power, you can retire into a nice fat job, and that's part of the problem. But I also think, I also think at the risk of sounding paranoid, but I, I, uh, Dr. Graham used to caution me that, you know, Peter, never attribute to a conspiracy in Washington that which can be explained by stupidity. So these other factors that I mentioned, including stupidity, because most of these people, none of them really understand EMP or cyber warfare. They're not experts in this. And um, uh, uh, so uh, they're really not competent themselves personally to solve the problem. But I also think that, that a lot of the problem we have is that the regulatory agencies and some of our uh, departments and agencies are probably penetrated by Russian and Chinese agents that don't want to get the country protected. And these people are embedded in our bureaucracy and are act actively sabotaging this. You know, the Russians in particular have been effective over the years. You know, if you think about the success they and other bad guys have had in penetrating the federal bureaucracy, you know, the CIA, the Department of Defense, you know, we once had a, uh, uh, I think there was a, a female Cuban spy who managed to get herself in charge of the Cuban desk in the Defense Intelligence Agency for a decade. She was our top expert on Cuba, and she was working for the Cubans, all right? Those positions yeah. are the most secure positions we've got. They get polygraphed. Regularly, we have background checks. None of that happens when you're talking about organizations like the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. They don't polygraph anybody. They don't do background checks. You know, uh, same thing with the uh, 
with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. You know, you could much more easily penetrate these organizations than you could penetrate our defense and intelligence community. Yeah. Hold on a second, Pete. Uh, uh, Hold on to that. Uh, George, I'm going to bring you in. He makes some pretty good points. You know, and I know, and Larry, you've made the very same points over the years. So, George, you know, what some of the things he said, what's your thoughts? Well, I think he's right in terms of this, you know, people like to make fun of the idea there's a deep state. But there, in fact, is a deep state. And it's um, originally the idea was if you had, uh, you know, civil servants that were stable and not uh, changing every time a new president was elected that you'd get um, – you know, uh, more expertise, et cetera. And I think what you see is is that it just becomes a separate power base. And um, what's interesting, because it often is ideologically based, what it really means is if you're on the left spectrum, the uh, deep state works in your interests. And it, when, when uh, someone on the center right wins an election, the deep state frustrates them. That strikes me as very anti-democratic, uh, very anti-against the concept of self-government. But yet that's what we have, and we've tolerated it. And it partly, I think, is why the founders were very opposed to the idea of big government, because they understood that big government would grow to exactly what we have. And, it, what, and it's what, not just what, what it sounds to me like to waste money. What, what it sounds to me like we need is some kind of an agency – that has this as their as their as their mandate, you know, like a, an FBI for uh, that goes supposed to go against crime. When this or, or a, I guess that's not a the best example. But if you had some if you had some people that were in charge of making sure that all if they had a, I mean this this. We, this is this is a very uh, this is a very specific and and scientific and complicated. It's complicated not so much by the um, by the theory of it, but but the just the complexity of our of our superstructure here uh, requires a lot of expertise and a lot of. I think if we get some people that have the mission of going out and making sure this happens and if they have the the support of the of the as you said of the presidency and the and the uh, congress uh that's 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 the only way to handle this isn't it i mean i i yeah. this is not going to happen by people just making yeah. speeches yeah if i could make a point yeah yeah can i make a point i want to make a point and get yeah, and get everybody's yeah, polls on this. Uh, you know, Peter, I'm, I'm listening to you, and I'm listening to the technology you're talking about, and it sounds like to me this uh, is more of a will to do this than technology because the technology is already there, it's, nor does it necessarily have to be reinvented. It's there in front of us. And so am I correct on that? I mean, we don't necessarily have to invent yes. new technology. It's already, it's already there, correct? Yes, is that that's, point? that's correct. All we have to do is, you know, we might have to scale up existing technology so they can handle super EMP weapons, the 200,000 volts. But, yes, I mean, it's basically making a more robust uh, surge arrestor. We already know how to do that. Um, so, it, uh, you know, so the technology is there. That's not the hard part. 
my idea for well, what I would propose is, uh, you know, we already have uh, 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 an agency, as it were, that should be dedicated to this, and it's called the Department of Defense. I think we have to reimagine the Department of Defense's role from protecting our strategic nuclear retaliatory capabilities to include protecting the American people like they're supposed to do in the Constitution, you know? And the, uh, uh, you know, I'm not talking about nationalizing the electric grid or the other utilities, but uh, we should stop this fiction about, about make, uh, relying on them to protect themselves when they don't have the expertise. You know, uh, you know they, the, the White House, again, we should have a Manhattan Project, you know, a person in charge on the National Security Council staff. Yeah. In fact, what, that was one of the EMP Commission recommendations, and we do have a person now in the Biden administration. Her name is Ann Neuberger, who's supposed to be on top of cyber warfare and EMP, okay? But she, uh, unfortunately, uh, is, uh, does not have the background. She's a lawyer. I mean, this is another problem we have. There are too many lawyers in <laughs> positions of responsibility you know, who don't know anything about the subject matter that they're supposed to be driving forward, you know? And, uh, th- we need is, some uh, dedicated so missionaries. We've, we need we've some, got... The, people, we need some people that that really want to get out and make this happen. Yeah, we, uh, we've got yeah, defense it, contractors. Yeah, yeah. Defense contractors yeah. for the Department of Defense should be sent out and, you know, funded, uh, you know, to to protect these critical infrastructures and just say... Utilities, just shut up and get out of our way. We're going to do it for you, and we're going to come back and inspect it every every year to make sure that the uh, that the hard, hardening uh, uh, the, the hardening technologies that we've put in are being maintained properly. We'll maintain them for, for you, and just just go ahead and collect your profits and do what you do, and try to get better at keeping the grid up in snowstorms and hurricanes. We'll handle the cyber warfare and EMP part for you. Uh, I was, do you know yeah, of any yeah, anybody on the left that's really uh, uh, that's really into this, or is this considered sort of uh, informally as kind of a conservative thing? The, there is a, a cottage industry in the media that tries to belittle the threat as a as a conservative Republican obsession. All right. Yeah. Uh, however, how, uh, you know, but that's not true. Um, you know, we've had uh, Senator Edward Markey introduce the first no really? no conservative. Yes, he introduced the first bill. Wow. I worked <laughs> with him. He, he tried to get a bill passed. Uh, you know, the first time. Uh, when was that? Oh, it was 2009. It was 2009. It was the first bill. It was called the Grid Act, and he pushed hard for it. And guess. And a Republican ended up killing it in the Senate Energy Committee. And, uh, you know, so there have been uh, – there are Republicans who, who are on the wrong side or have been on the wrong side of this issue. But the Congress pretty much now – I mean, it took an educational process, but uh, Senator Markey is just, is just one of them. Um, who was that – who ran the uh, – uh, there's a number of, of radicals on the Democrat side – who are with us on EMP, uh, and uh, that includes the current president of the United States, Joe Biden, who, as I said, has maintained uh, President Trump's EMP executive order. He didn't suspend it and uh, has allocated a lot, hundreds of millions of dollars to implement it. Unfortunately, when you look at where that money is going, 
it's going to go to the part of the bureaucracy that's most resistant to national EMP preparedness, which is the Department of Energy. The Department of Energy is in the pockets of the utilities, and I guarantee you they're going to spend that money on what I was talking about before, conferences, uh, reports, uh, their Beltway Bandit friends who can build their mansions out, out in Potomac, Maryland, and, uh, and, uh, but not on hardening the electric grid. And the other problem with yeah. Yeah. even though thought, yeah. Biden – the other problem is, although President Biden may be with us on EMP, you know, he, he has he's given higher priority to the climate change agenda when it comes to the energy grid. And the yeah. things that they yeah. give us with one yeah. hand for EMP protection, they take away yeah. with I, the I, other. Yeah, They'll I'm actually gonna, make yeah, the grid Peter, more Peter, vulnerable. Peter, uh, Peter, I'm going to stop you right there because we've got about three, four minutes left. And what I want to do is both for you and George to be able – to talk about uh, how the people get a hold of you. More importantly, in your case, you've written several books. So why don't you give people you know, the names of the books and where they can obtain those books? Sure. sure. My, uh, my, la- my latest book is Blackout Warfare, which is the first book that describes this new way of warfare that the adversary will use. If you want to become a uh, kind of an instant EMP expert, then The Power and the Light describes the long struggle, the political struggle, as well as the scientific and technological issues, the power and the light. The subtitle is the Congressional EMP Commission's War to Save America. I've, oh, a, a book I wrote some years ago is called Blackout Wars. Blackout Wars. That actually has a an executive or a blank executive order in it. So that so if uh, and it's got a blank. Uh, state legislative bill in it for protecting state grids. The whole country, you can protect the grid in a state, single state and keep the lights on. Uh, you can protect the grid in a community if you have the electrical generating capacities there. Uh, you know, so you don't have to wait for Washington, and people shouldn't wait for Washington. Mm. You know, you could take uh, take that executive oh, order and send it to your governor and demand that he sign it. Or get the state legislature to pass the bill. All they've got to do is fill in the name of the state, and it'll start your state on the pathway toward being protected. It's called blackout wars, and one determined when, when individual can do it. Oh, well, I think that book, I wrote it. Oh, they're all available on uh, Amazon.com. Still, yeah. Amazon. So, okay. yes. Now, yes. George, real quick, yeah, yeah, George, uh, real quick, uh, uh, Frontier for Freedom. Why don't you go ahead and talk very briefly about that? Sure. Um, Frontiers of Freedom is uh, an organization founded by Malcolm Wallop, who in, uh, is the one who introduced uh, uh, Ronald Reagan to the concept of missile defense. We do a lot of work in this, this area, and uh, you can uh, go to our website at ff.org, ff.org. And you can follow me on Twitter and other social media things. This is my name, George Landreth, L-A-N-D-R-I-T-H. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, an extremely uh, enlightening, if if not terrifying, uh, hour. And I. Th- uh, keep this going, um, so that uh, you know maybe we can add a little bit of uh, light to this. Uh, or at least energy to this uh, to this cause, and uh, this is uh, extremely valuable. And we really appreciate both of you uh, coming on, and particularly 
Dr. Pry, uh, this is our first time with you, and uh, we certainly enjoyed your, <laughs> well, enjoy is not exactly the right word, but <laughs> we're definitely, uh, we're definitely uh, happy to uh, know at least what we found out uh, tonight, and, uh, and we will try to follow up. Thank you for coming on board, and so quickly. So this, okay. it is my uh, pleasure every uh, night to uh, try to close with the statement of God bless America, because we really need it. Uh -huh.